Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. Misleading statements about vaccinating young kids. A medical watchdog group in the UK found Pfizer's CEO guilty of potentially deceiving the public. All Republican senators and Democrat Joe Manchin are joining forces against the Biden administration's new ESG rule. They say the retirement savings of Americans shouldn't be politicized. California Democratic Representative Maxine Waters is in the spotlight. The issue is her alleged practice of transferring campaign cash to her daughter. Shootings on the rise in the U.S. Why? California's solution? Tightening gun laws. But are there other ways to stop the carnage like better mental health care, relying less on prescription drugs, and faith? We hear from an expert. A robbery at 8 in the morning. A thief more interested in phones and laptops than cash focused on asking for a password. That's what marked the attack of an NTD reporter outside her apartment complex where she was robbed at gunpoint. FBI agents are searching President Joe Biden's Rehoboth Beach home today. The abode hasn't previously been searched. An attorney representing the president said the raid is under standard DOJ procedures and with the president's consent. In January, the agency raided Biden's home in Wilmington, Delaware, and found several classified documents. Last November, Biden's lawyers first found classified materials at the Washington office of the Penn-Biden Center. The FBI reportedly searched the think tank soon after. We'll keep you updated on further developments. Please tune in for our evening news at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And some news from Capitol Hill. Representative James Comer says the Department of Justice and the White House have interfered with the matter of classified documents. Comer added that his panel will hold a transparent inquiry into who had access to the documents found at President Biden's Delaware home. And today's Daniel Monahan has more on these developments. I mean, if they want to continue to defend the indefensible, then more power to them. Comer says someone prevented the National Archives and Records Administration from issuing a prepared press release. The Archives General Counsel reportedly said he was unable to tell lawmakers who stopped them from releasing the statement. According to Comer, only the Department of Justice with Merrick Garland or the White House with Joe Biden could have issued that command. Comer expressed concern about who had access to Biden's documents with respect to the investigation they are conducting. We have reason to believe that, that Hunter Biden uh, has uh, had some uh, contacts that would be of concern to our national security. On whether there is any evidence Hunter had access to the documents, Comer had this to say. Because they were in the house where Hunter Biden lived for two years. Regarding the documents, a spokesperson for President Biden said the president is committed to doing the responsible thing and acting appropriately. Meanwhile, Representative Dan Bishop delivered a speech in the U.S. House. He called out the censorship of conservative voices. He said it proliferates among government agencies, social media companies, tech firms, banks, and capital markets pursuing ESG policies. He promised to, quote, plumb the depths of this corruption. Bishop says the Twitter files revealed that the FBI, CIA, and NSA, quote, audaciously abused their power to coordinate big tech and big media, the aim being suppressing information highly significant to the 2020 election, namely the New York Post's Hunter Biden story. But even this jaw-dropping disclosure focusing on an isolated document brings home just how insidious, how brazen the conduct of these massive and unaccountable agencies has become. 
Bishop then references the Twitter file's revelation that an FBI agent requested access to Twitter's data feed and that the agency was reportedly contracting with a vendor for an analytical tool for open source intelligence. To conduct analytics on the discourse of the American people, mass surveillance of the public conversation, collection and preservation so it can be searched at will by government bureaucrats for whatever purposes. Bishop points out that the data would be provided to the intelligence community. Bishop concluded saying intelligence agencies should be directing their attention abroad for the sake of American security, not conducting mass surveillance on their own citizens. The FBI says correspondence with Twitter shows nothing more than traditional, long-standing and ongoing federal government and private sector engagement. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. A medical watchdog group in the UK says Pfizer CEO made misleading statements about vaccinating children. Pfizer responded saying the company is committed to integrity. A case report published by a UK pharmaceutical watchdog on Friday says that Pfizer CEO Albert Borla made misleading statements. The statements in question were about giving COVID-19 vaccines to young children. During an interview with the BBC published in December of 2021, Borla was asked whether it was a good idea to vaccinate European kids aged 5 to 11 against COVID-19. At the time the interview was published, Pfizer COVID vaccines for kids that age had already been approved by the FDA in the U.S. However, the U.K. regulatory body at that time hadn't approved them yet. In the interview, Borla acknowledged that it was up to the UK authorities to decide whether or not to approve the vaccines. But he said, there is no doubt in my mind about the benefits completely are in favor of doing it. Following complaints from a children's welfare campaign group, medical watchdog group PMCPA ruled that Borla's statements breached a number of codes of practice. The ruling found that the statement might convey to members of the public that there was no need to be concerned about potential side effects, which was not so, and that Pfizer's CEO did not encourage the rational use of a medicine. In November 2022, the Telegraph obtained the unpublished ruling. At that time, a spokesperson for Pfizer told the journal that the company was committed to the highest levels of integrity in any interaction with the public and added, we are pleased the UK's PMCPA appeal board found Pfizer to have maintained high standards and upheld confidence in our industry. PMCPA codebreakers are charged for administrative cost. The self-regulatory body does not have the power to impose fines or other legal sanctions. All Republican senators plus Democrat Joe Manchin have come together in an attempt to thwart the Biden administration's new environmental, social, and governance rule. They say it politicizes the retirement savings of 152 million Americans and have introduced legislation against it. NTD's Daniel Monahan has more on the legislation. The Department of Labor introduced the rule in November. It enables retirement plan managers to include environmental and social issues in investment decisions. Senator Mike Braun is leading the bipartisan disapproval resolution. He told Fox News, quote, President Biden is jeopardizing retirement savings for millions of Americans for a political agenda. Braun adds that Americans' 401ks have already taken a big hit due to market downturns and record high inflation. Meanwhile, Representative Andy Barr will introduce a companion bill in the House. Here's Barr on Fox News. And whenever these uh, retirement plans, whether they're in the public sector or the private sector, invest based on these environmental, social, and governance metrics, uh, they are subordinating financial performance to politics. On CNBC, Tom Cotton criticized the ESG movement and its leading companies like BlackRock. 
What Larry Fink and BlackRock have done in part uh, through collusion with this climate action partnership is essentially create a climate cartel. The Arkansas senator questions the company's motives and direction. They are trying to suppress investment in the fossil fuel industry in America. While West Virginia State Treasurer Riley Moore says the ESG movement has played a big part in driving inflation in the economy. These folks, BlackRock certainly being the leader, has created artificial scarcity in the marketplace, which has driven up, obviously, energy costs. Labor Department official Lisa Gomez says including the economic effects of climate change when making investment choices is common sense. Last week, a group of 25 states launched a federal lawsuit against the Biden administration over the rule. The Congressional Review Act says joint resolutions of disapproval cannot be prevented from consideration on the floor. The resolution needs only a simple majority vote threshold to pass. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Fox News is reporting that California Democratic Representative Maxine Waters has continued a practice of transferring campaign cash to her daughter. This to run a profitable operation during the 2022 election cycle. Entity's Daniel Monahan has the story. Daughter Karen Waters allegedly received over $190,000 from her mother's campaign. It was reportedly to keep her endorsement mailer operation afloat between January 2021 and December 2022. The system works by outside campaigns paying Waters' campaign to appear on the endorsement mailers. Those are then sent out to constituents in the Los Angeles area. The practice is reportedly unusual at the federal level. However, Fox News reports that endorsement mailers, also called slate mailers, are commonplace in her home state of California. Critics say the practice of one campaign paying another for support in an election is misleading. Waters received permission to use the system from the Federal Election Commission in 2004. Since that time, Fox reported that Karen Waters received over a million dollars in payments from her mother's campaign. The practice has also been lucrative for Waters' campaign. Vice President Kamala Harris's campaign sent over $30,000 to Waters for endorsement mailer placement in 2010 when seeking the California Attorney General's spot. Then in 2016, Harris paid around $30,000 more to appear again while running for the U.S. Senate. Meanwhile, Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom reportedly paid Waters $45,000 while running for lieutenant governor in 2010. And former Senator Barbara Boxer spent a combined 33000 in 2010 and 2018 on the mailers. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. An Illinois court maintains its block on the state's new gun control law. The law would restrict some semi-automatic rifles and limit the capacity of magazines. The law was approved by the Illinois governor on January 10th before a judge restricted it on January 24th. And now the restriction continues after an unsuccessful appeal by the state. Four gun merchants and 850 individuals took legal action to stop the ban. The judge says he ruled in their favor since their fundamental right to bear arms is impacted. The state faces several other lawsuits, including one involving the National Rifle Association. The executive director of the NRA Institute for Legislative Action told Fox the law is unconstitutional. After the recent string of shootings in California, Governor Gavin Newsom and state leaders are set to announce more gun control laws. We zoom out to a national scale looking at these horrific incidents with an expert. He shares his perspective on what is and is not the cause, prevention, and what to do in these situations. 
Joining us now to discuss is former FBI Special Agent Greg Schaefer. Greg served as an operator on the FBI's elite hostage rescue team. He's internationally recognized as one of the leading experts and authorities on the phenomenon of active shooter events and domestic terrorism prevention. It's a pleasure speaking with you, Greg. Thanks for having me this morning. The U.S. has seen a rise in mass shootings recently, with at least 39 of them in January, with over 60 people killed. What do you think is contributing to this rise, and what can be done about it? The percentage of firearms in, the, in households in America really has not changed that much in the last 30 years, but the rise of violence has. So we need to take a hard look at what changed in our society 30 years ago, 30 years ago to today that's causing this increase in violence. This is a multifaceted problem with multifaceted answers. Some of the answers include better mental health care. Uh, some of the answers include, you know, two parents, uh, having a parent stay at home. You know, life has gotten so expensive now that both parents have to go to work and there's nobody to watch the kids and teach them what's right and what's wrong. We have lack of people going to church anymore. We have uh, our kids being treated with ADHD medication that has been proven to be uh, have side effects of, of depression and suicidal thoughts. And Greg, there are measures for after a shooting occurs, but what about prevention? In terms of society, what are the actions by the government or education that can be put forth to protect citizens from these tragedies? Well, we got to remember that preventing these acts of violence is not the sole responsibility of law enforcement. Uh, it is a societal problem where the government, education, mental health, and private entities need to get involved. We have cameras that have AI that can recognize when an individual pulls a weapon out of the truck of his car in a parking lot or pulls a weapon out of a school locker. We have cameras that can help identify where that weapon is and instantaneously notify the authorities or notify the school or, or whatever the, or the business or whatever the case is. We have shot detection technology that can pinpoint exactly where that shot occurred so that when police do respond, they know exactly where to go. We have facial recognition. So if you have an incident where there was a, uh, a high threat termination at a corporation, that that face can be put in, uh, into the uh, facial recognition system. So if that person comes back on campus, goes back on property, it can again notify the authorities, notify the people at that building that they need to lock down. So, you know, we have movable walls that are ballistic. They've been moved in front of a door in a school. So the technology is out there to help prevent and stop this. But right now, we're still sold on focusing on the response. And let's keep in mind, of these active shooter events, only 50% of the events are stopped by police officers. It's important for them to be trained in how to respond and to do it timely, effectively, and with great tactics. But let's not focus on what happens after the shot's being fired. Let's focus on prevention where we take care of business and prevent these things happening before they happen. And Greg, it's good that you outlined some of the applications like AI, facial recognition that can be used to prevent these. Now, I want to go back to this run-hide fight. For decades, the FBI has given civilians guidance on what to do if they find themselves in an active shooter situation, and that is this method. And that's a last resort to fight the shooter. Now, security experts say that might be outdated. Could confronting the gunman be a better option, like the actions of Brandon Say in Monterey Park, California? Well, if, you know, hiding is definitely not the option. Uh, the average distance that an active shooter shoots and kills his victims is less than five feet. So if you're hiding behind a church pew, hiding, hiding underneath your desk or behind a cash register, all you do is make yourself a, an easy target. So if you can't run to avoid the shooter, look for a place that you can hard point and prevent him from entering into the area you're at, but be prepared to fight. 
look for improvised weapons. But you have to have the right mindset in order to confront and actually attack and fight off this uh, this year. It really is troubling that we would have to resort to that kind of resourcefulness in order to deal with these situations. But nonetheless, former FBI Special Agent Greg Schaefer, it is great having your analysis. Thank you very much for having me. A San Francisco pizza shop has fired an employee accused of telling police officers that they aren't welcome in the business. The shop says the worker was a trainee on just his third day. The San Francisco Police Union posted on social media that several officers went into Pizza Squared when they were met with the icy greeting. The union president told Fox that officers that dined there in the past never had a problem. The restaurant said on social media that it apologized to the union and fired the employee at the end of the day once they discovered what happened. They also said they told the employee that they didn't share his views and that he was out of line. And coming up, Tom Brady records a message for fans. The GOAT says he's retiring and he wants to keep it simple this time. And Boeing delivered the last of its iconic 747 jumbo jets, ending the era of a plane that once ruled the skies. More in just a moment here on NTD News Today. Quarterback Tom Brady says he's retiring for good. However, he said you only get one super emotional retirement essay and that he used his up last year. This time he wanted to keep it simple. Good morning, guys. I'll get to the point right away. I'm retiring for good. I know the process uh, was a pretty big deal last time, so when I woke up this morning, I figured I'd just press record and let you guys know first. So. Uh, really, thank you guys so much to every single one of you for supporting me. Brady thanked everyone for allowing him to live what he calls his absolute dream. Brady won six Super Bowls with the New England Patriots and one with the Buccaneers. He retires as the NFL's leader in career passing yards and touchdown passes. He is the only player to win more than five Super Bowls and was also Super Bowl MVP five times. Boeing bid farewell to the iconic 747, delivering the final plane to Atlas Air. It marks the end of an era when the first ever jumbo jet ruled the skies. It was a fond farewell to the so-called Queen of the Skies on Tuesday, as Boeing delivered its final 747 to Atlas Air, marking the end of the jumbo jet era. Thousands of Boeing employees, including some of the so-called Incredibles, who developed the jet in the 1960s, watched the last delivery of the historic plane. Thomas H. Gray is one of them. It's a certain amount of nostalgia thinking about the fact that it is uh, line number 1574. And considering I was there on number one, it's, uh, it's been, been uh, quite a story. And as it slowly begins... The Boeing 747 was the world's first twin-aisle jetliner, helping bring affordable air travel to millions of passengers. It was designed and built in 28 months, and Pan Am introduced it in 1970. Customer demand has since eroded, as Boeing and Airbus have developed more fuel-efficient two-engine wide-body planes. When Boeing confirmed in July 2020 that it would end 747 production, it was already only producing at a rate of half an aircraft a month. Mike Stewart is another former Boeing employee. My wife told me this morning, don't start crying. So it's just very emotional. You know, it's my father 
was one of the first employees here at Everett. He also transferred out from Wichita. My brother worked here, my sister worked here, and to see the last aircraft and realize that passing of time, it's very emotional, very emotional. British billionaire entrepreneur Richard Branson, who was inspired to start an airline with a single Boeing 747 after getting stuck on a delayed flight, called it a wonderful beast as he bid farewell. It's only February, but Frontier has announced a deal for anyone planning summer travel. The low-cost air carrier is launching an all-you-can-fly summer pass. It will cost $399 and includes nearly unlimited flights between May and September. Frontier says each flight will cost pass holders just one cent, plus taxes, fees, and any charges for seats or checked baggage. The airline currently has more than 100 destinations and plans to add new nonstop service between multiple cities and Puerto Rico this summer. A scary moment caught on a dash camera in Oklahoma. Here's a look. A semi-truck driver lost control on a slick road in Sequoia County, Oklahoma on Tuesday. Luckily, the semi didn't hit any other cars and didn't get hurt. The Oklahoma Highway Patrol said that cable barrier did its job. The driver was ticketed for traveling at a speed not proper for the road conditions. The Highway Patrol wants to remind drivers that the posted speed limit is meant for ideal conditions, not when they are slick and hazardous. Are you currently using any eye drops? The CDC warns that an eye drop brand sold over the counter may be connected to a bacterial infection. The brand is called EsriCare Artificial Tears. The CDC has identified at least 50 people with a type of bacterium resistant to most antibiotics. It's called Pseudomonas aeruginosa. Most people reported using the eye drop before they became infected. The infection has left one person dead and three people with permanent vision loss. Other victims suffered respiratory infections. There have been cases in 11 states, including California, New York, Florida, and Texas. Major reforms in the Food and Drug Administration, that's what Commissioner Robert Califf says are coming to the agency in the wake of the recent infant formula shortages. The decision came on the heels of a review of findings and recommendations by experts after the formula shortage. Califf said the internal and external reviews of the FDA pointed to several problems, including a need to modernize the administration's data systems, improve emergency responses, and create a more robust regulatory program. Several offices will be unified, and the FDA will conduct a national search for a deputy commissioner for human foods who will oversee the program. Included in the upcoming changes is the creation of a center to focus on the agency's efforts to help Americans eat healthier. A woman in New Jersey has been arrested for using false documents. She posed as a teenager in order to enroll in high school. The 29-year-old Hyejong Shin is a graduate of Rutgers University, New Brunswick. On her fake birth certificate, she allegedly claimed to be 15 years old. She presented it to the New Brunswick Board of Education with the intention of enrolling at New Brunswick High School. Shin spent reportedly four days at the school alongside other students before school officials found out her birth certificate was forged. The woman was barred from campus and charged on January 24th. Police are currently investigating the motive, which is still unclear. According to officials, she does not currently have any legal representation. She is due to appear at a court hearing in Middlesex County Superior Court on February 16th. 
And just ahead, a Chinese corn mill project in North Dakota is being terminated. Find out what the Air Force had to say about the company with CCP ties setting up shop near their base. Welcome back. A robbery committed in broad daylight. A reporter with NTD was robbed at gunpoint right outside her apartment complex over the weekend. The armed attack raising concerns about whether she was targeted at random or if it was something more. Let's take a closer look. In the southwest area of Washington, D.C., just as NTD's White House reporter Iris Tao stepped outside her building. And this person approached me and just um, when I made eye contact with him, he was already pulling out a gun. And then he pointed it at me and asked, oh, give me your phone, give me your phone. She was confronted by a black man covered in black from head to toe with a handgun at around 8.30 in the morning. Then he snatched her phone right out of her pocket and demanded her wallet and laptop. Tao maintained she only had books with her. After that, the man asked for her phone password. I was like looking him in the eye and be like, sorry, I can't. Because I knew that I have very important data information in my phone. Tao refused to give her passcode out. And then he smacked it in my face with his gun, and then he ran away. And then that's when I started yelling, help, help, help. And then two neighbors came out to help me call the police. As a way of Tao covers Chinese politics and China. current events in Washington for NTD. Public safety advisor Jim Fuda says the incident doesn't seem just like a random robbery. It sounds actually pretty targeted to me, uh, especially that time of day. Uh, somebody dressed the way they were, uh, mask, all that along with it. In contrast to most cases, the man seemed more interested in her phone and laptop than cash, and he somehow knew she carried them, even though they weren't visible from the outside. Fuda says robberies typically occur when it's dark outside to help conceal the crime. Beyond that, most thieves just wipe the data from a stolen phone and resell it. And do not ask for a PIN number or password to get into the device. Or they want to keep the phone themselves, but it doesn't make sense with, to me because of the, you know, the phones can easily be tracked. If you charge it, you, you know, uh, many cases are solved uh, like this. One, what, had she been stalked prior, which a lot of media people do. I started to more worry about if there's any, like, you know, CCP or Chinese government related factors behind it because, you know, it has happened to our media employees before where they were stalked and then subsequently attacked. Um, you know, their computers sought after, their data wanted. Tao came back from the attack with only a slight injury, but that wasn't the case for Sarah Leong, a Hong Kong reporter for NTD's sister media, The Epic Times. She was attacked by a bat-wielding man outside her apartment building in 2021. The assault was believed to have been orchestrated by the Chinese Communist Party to silence independent reporting. Prior to the attack, Leong had been stalked by two men. Both their faces were partially obscured by masks. For Tao, the armed robbery happened just three days after she attended a White House press briefing. Does the U.S. believe that new number by the Chinese government, saying that there's been seven cases? The Chinese, uh, they have not been fully transparent. Um, the whole Chinese government, one thing they're afraid of the most right now is for any foreign country or, you know, even Chinese citizens to find out about a real COVID outbreak situation in China. Asking that question, I think the Chinese government has definitely, you know, noticed it. NTD and the Epic Times have both drawn the ire of Beijing for their unfiltered reporting, especially on the numerous human rights abuse and corruption accusations against the CCP. 
Before Tao lost access to her phone's location, the man's location pinged inside a building about 15 minutes away by car. Police suspect the man lives nearby, since he would have needed security access to enter the building. And in California, a man charged with shooting and killing his boss at a newspaper's office in 2018 will stand trial. Zhang Chi Chen allegedly murdered Yining Xie in Alhambra, California on November 16, 2018. Xie was the founder and chairman of China Press, a U.S.-based Chinese-language newspaper. China Press has long been known in the Chinese immigrant community for its views favorable to the Chinese communist regime. Investigators said they believe a workplace dispute led to the shooting. The jury trial was originally scheduled for this week. It was delayed to March 1st. The judge urged the defendant's legal team to speed up bringing the case to trial. Next, some China-related news. A Chinese corn mill project in Grand Forks, North Dakota, is being shut down. The mill was going to be built next to a U.S. Air Force base. State senators released a letter from the Air Force to the public yesterday. It cited risks to national security. Entity's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the move that comes after more than a year of debate. The letter from the Air Force clearly states that the proposed project presents a significant threat to national security with both near and long-term risks of significant impacts to operations in the area. The wet corn milling plant was to be built just 12 miles east of the Grand Forks Air Force Base. The base houses sensitive drone, satellite, and surveillance technology. The Chinese company behind the proposed project has reputed ties to the CCP through its chairman. Grand Forks Mayor Brandon Bochensky previously supported the project. The mayor said Tuesday the city will meet the federal government's directive to stop it by refusing to connect industrial infrastructure and deny building permits. North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum, who once called the mill a huge opportunity for the state, also issued a statement Tuesday. He says the Air Force's letter has finally given clarity on the national security implications related to the Fufeng project and that the top priority is the security of citizens and the nation. The Fufeng Group will still own the 370 acres of farmland they bought in Grand Forks last year. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. If you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. And coming up, the U.S. could soon approve another military aid package to Ukraine. Russia warns that a new weapon included in the package could escalate the war. And the U.K. sees its largest organized strike in a decade. Half a million workers walking out of their jobs. More shortly here on NTD News Today. Now turning to the war in Ukraine. Russia is reacting to an upcoming military aid package from the U.S. to Ukraine. The package is estimated to be worth $2.2 billion. Two U.S. officials briefed on the matter told Reuters on Tuesday that the package includes longer-range rockets for the first time. Such rockets would allow Ukraine to strike deeper into Russian-held territory. Russia said today that the rockets would escalate the conflict but not change its course. The Kremlin also told reporters that there were no plans for Russian President Vladimir Putin to hold talks with U.S. President Biden. Croatia's president is also reacting to Western aid. He's criticizing the West for supplying Ukraine with heavy tanks and other weapons, saying it will prolong the war. What is the goal of this war? Is it a victory against a nuclear superpower, which is at war on its border in another country it has invaded? 
can you win against that country in the conventional way? The solution is not a change of the government in Russia. Indeed, German tanks in Kharkiv will further homogenize Russia. It will politically homogenize them. It will get them close to China. It's happening. This is politically unintelligent what is being done. It is harmful for the West. During a visit to military barracks, Milanovich said many Germans believe sending leopard tanks to Ukraine is utterly suicidal. He also said he doesn't expect that Crimea will ever again be part of Ukraine. Although the presidential post is mostly a ceremonial role in Croatia, Milanovic is the supreme commander of the armed forces. His comments have irritated the country's government, with the prime minister saying they directly harm Croatia's foreign policy position. Polish President Andrzej Duda says President Joe Biden may visit Central Europe in February. He says he's not sure which country the U.S. president will be visiting, but that a visit somewhere in the region has been announced. We here are ready to talk with our allies on the topic of support for Ukraine. But I will say once again, we help Ukraine, but we also care about the security of the Republic of Poland. As part of NATO, the most important element is deterrence. We must remember that deterrence works when we are able to defend ourselves when we have that military capability. The president added that by strengthening NATO's presence in Poland, they can prevent any future attack. That means more allied troops and enhanced military infrastructure. An American woman is jailed for 13 days and fined by a Russian court for walking a calf on Moscow's Red Square. Russian state media reports the woman said she bought it to save it from slaughter. Alicia Day was fined the equivalent of $285 for obstructing pedestrians in an unauthorized protest and sentenced to 13 days of administrative arrest on a separate charge of disobeying police orders. Russian state media quotes her as saying, I bought the calf so that it wouldn't be eaten. Russian news reported that Day was living in a suburb of Moscow on a tourist visa and had carried out similar acts of protest before in other countries. In 2019, the Daily Mail newspaper reported that she bought a pig that was to be slaughtered in Western England. Over in the UK, trains and other services came to a stop as half a million workers took part in a walkout today. This was the largest coordinated strike action in the UK in a decade. The mass walkouts involved teachers, civil servants, and train drivers. They shut down schools, halted most rail services, and the military was put on standby to help with border checks. Inflation in the UK is running at more than 10%. That's the highest level in four decades. The country has seen a wave of strikes in recent months across different sectors. University staff also joined the walkout today. Meanwhile, the UK's education minister, Gillian Keegan, said the government would not give in. All people want is, you know, enough money to pay the bills. Uh, people want often just a contract so that they can live with dignity and security. But what we cannot do is, is give inflation-busting pay rises to one part of, of, of the workforce and, you know, make inflation worse for everybody. That's not an economically sensible thing to do. What I believe in is due process, and that's why I appointed an independent advisor to look into the questions that have... 
UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak has said he will work his hardest to cut inflation in half before the end of this year. Unions threatened more disruption as the government digs its heels in over pay demands. According to unions, as many as 300,000 teachers are expected to be on strike. This would be the biggest group involved. The wider strike, which involved half a million people, is the largest since 2011. Unions have dubbed today Walkout Wednesday. And over in France, mass labor unrest is also underway. More than a million people marched in protest Tuesday at the government's plans to raise the retirement age. The French government is proposing increasing the retirement age from 62 to 64. President Emmanuel Macron argues it's vital to ensuring the viability of the pension system. Opinion polls show a substantial majority in France oppose the plan. Roughly 1.3 million people took part in the protests nationwide on Tuesday. The first nationwide demonstration began on January 19th. Despite the protests, the French labor minister said today that the plan is non-negotiable. To pay for pensions, save the system, but also finance other funds for long careers. Is the age 64 negotiable, yes or no? I just answered you, if we do not go to 64, the pension system will not break even. A union leader has called for more industrial action. He accused the government of playing down opposition to its reform. For unions, the challenge will be maintaining walkouts at a time when high inflation is eroding salaries. Union leaders held a joint news conference at the end of March on Tuesday. They said they would organize more strikes and demonstrations against the reform on February 7th, a Tuesday, and February 11th, a Saturday. And just ahead, a town near Madrid enjoys the Festival of Vaquilla. The event celebrates the winter migration of cattle in Spain. Groups dress up as cows and ranchers to run through the streets. A celebrated Mardi Gras carnival in Belgium is UNESCO World Heritage Event. Now the event is back after two years of cancellations. Stay tuned for more on that when we return. Good to have you back with us. A festival celebrating the winter migration of cattle is held in Spain. Groups dress up as cows and ranchers and run through the streets of a town just north of Madrid. Here's NTD's Andrew Thomas with more on the fiesta. In the town of Colmenar Viejo, a colorful procession enters the town square. The vaquilla, or cow, dances for the audience. The sound of bells and the cracking of a slingshot make it a noisy event. Hundreds of Spaniards and visitors revel in the festivities. I have come from London just for the vaquilla. In my family, it's a tradition that my brothers do, my father used to do, my grandfather used to do, my great uncles used to do it, so it's a tradition that I want to preserve. The event recreates the winter migration of cattle, represented by dances through the streets. There are 23 vaquillas teams this year. The team carries a platform decorated with scarves, ribbons, beads, and horns. Mothers and grandmothers, well, young women, are unenthusiastic about doing this. So mothers are the ones who work the most because, above all, we sew a lot. The cow is a wooden frame. It is lined with a manila shawl. Then it carries some rods as if it were the body of the cow. Most of the handkerchiefs show bullfighting motifs. They come from all across Spain. Then, two horns embellished with earrings and pendants are placed in the front part of the cow. 
a real tail is also placed on the back. In the end, it weighs around 90 pounds. Upon arrival at the central square, each vaquilla performs a dance that mimics a bullfight. When we dance with it, when you do a turn with a contraption like this, which weighs 40 to 45 kilos, and it is very big behind, it tends to pull you out and pull you back. So you have to have a lot of technique and a lot of strength to rectify, put it back on your shoulders and to be able to turn again. After the group performance in the town square, three gunshots symbolize the death of the vaquilla. Then the nighttime celebration begins. Participants drink limonada, which is made with red wine and soda water. The beverage represents the blood of the slaughtered animal. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. A 120-year-old family business is busy sewing costumes from Belgium's Mardi Gras Carnival. They're hoping for a revival after years of lockdown cancellations. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the details on their Fat Tuesday preparations. The carnival in the Belgian city Banche is a UNESCO World Heritage event. It's also one of Europe's oldest surviving street carnivals and the biggest in Belgium. Participants wear medieval costumes in the black, red, and yellow colors of the Belgian flag. The costumes include ostrich feather hats, wooden clogs, bells, and wax masks. The gilles costume itself is made of linen. The patterns are made of felt. The black, yellow, and red patterns are juxtaposed on top of each other. Nowadays, the ribbons of the gaiters and the small cape are made of nylon. They are covered with lions, crowns, and stars. The Kirsten family has been designing and making the costumes for five generations. 57-year-old Fanny Kirsten has been making costumes with her father for 33 years. This year we are celebrating the 120th anniversary of the start of the Gilles de Bosch costumes production by the Kirsten family. 120 years this year, so I am the fifth generation. The Bonch Carnival's cancellation in 2021 and 2022 due to the COVID-19 lockdowns was bad for the business. It was the first time the carnival had been cancelled since World War II. Some thought the event was over for good. It's a rebirth, because one or two years ago we couldn't even imagine a future for the carnival. We were wondering what would happen to it. We were in the dark. Now its return is a great relief. Still, every morning we look at the COVID figures. We try to figure out about the war in Ukraine. Her ostrich feather hat weighs nearly nine pounds. Maintaining it takes 85 hours a year. The costume itself requires 13 hours of work. Kirsten said the family can make 300 costumes per year. The carnival is set to take place from February 19th through the 21st. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. The world's biggest carnival kicks off in just three weeks. Rio de Janeiro Samba schools are gearing up for the Samba Drome Parade. The Mocidade Samba School is one of the oldest in Rio de Janeiro, boasting 50 years of experience. Their theme for the parade this year is Land of My Heaven, Stars of My Ground. Despite the long hours, those involved in the preparation enjoyed the process of creation. I'm only a creator, but there are designers, painters, blacksmiths, carpenters, and many other professionals who I also see as artists in the party. They are the ones who get their hands dirty and make all of the carnival projects happen. It's a lot of work, but it's such a beautiful work. I enjoy doing every part of it. I enjoy doing every part of it. 
Carnival is a platform for Rio de Janeiro's Afro-Brazilian communities to showcase their traditional culture on the world stage. African and Brazilian deities and themes make frequent appearances. The Samba Drome Parade features elaborate floats and costumes as dancers samba their way through the world's largest party. The 2023 carnival will run from February 17th to the 25th. And still to come, a comet that visited Earth 50,000 years ago is coming back our way with its glowing green tail. Details to come on NTD News Today. For space lovers, here's something to keep an eye on. A comet that visited us tens of thousands of years ago is streaking back our way. And today is the best day to spot it in the northern hemisphere. A green comet zooming closer to our planet for the first time in 50,000 years. It set out from a distance 2,000 times farther from the sun than the Earth is. So it's interesting because it comes from a region that is so far out in the solar system. It's a region we call the Oort Cloud, a very mysterious, not well understood region where we have a reservoir of comets that are left over from the formation of the Earth and Sun uh, more than, well, billions of years ago. Nicknamed dirty snowballs, comets are balls of ice, dust, and rocks. As they approach the Sun, the thinner outer layers melt, forming a cloudy outward-facing tail. For this one, the emerald hue it has reflects its chemical composition. So the reason it's green is because its surface is covered in uh, molecules that are known as uh, diatomic carbon. So th that is two carbon atoms that are bonded together. And the green is caused by the effect of the sun's ultraviolet radiation shining down onto the comet. Discovered last March, astronomers relied on a wide-field camera at Caltech's Palomar Observatory. But now, it's possible to capture the beauty of the comet with binoculars. The comet will appear as a very faint, fuzzy patch in the sky. It will come around uh, and brighten up where we can see it toward the north, passing fairly near the, the North Pole, and then move around, uh, diving quickly toward the Southern Hemisphere. It's likely to be too faint to see with the naked eye, so people should try to find it with a pair of binoculars or a small telescope. NASA scientists are expecting new discoveries from observing the comet. We're going to be looking for the, the fingerprints of given molecules that we can't access from the ground. So things that are in our own Earth's atmosphere, like water, carbon dioxide, carbon monoxide, methane. We're going to be looking for those fingerprints in this comet and be able to study things that we haven't been able to see. Stargazers in the southern hemisphere will have to wait until next month to catch a glimpse. Today is the 20th anniversary of the Columbia Space Shuttle tragedy. These seven crew members lost their lives on February 1st, 2003, when the shuttle broke apart during re-entry. It happened less than two minutes into the flight. An investigation board determined the accident was caused by a piece of insulating foam that broke off and struck a hole in the left wing. The tragedy led to the grounding of the space shuttle fleet for more than two years. After a week-long extensive search, Australian authorities have recovered a tiny radioactive capsule that went missing in Western Australia. 
Officials found the capsule on a road near the mining town of Newman. It has now arrived safely at a health facility in Western Australia. The capsule was believed to have dropped from a truck during transport. The vehicle had traveled more than 800 miles north from a mine site operated by iron ore producer Rio Tinto. Rio Tinto apologized for the panic caused to the community. Western Australia's emergency services minister said it was an extraordinary result to locate the missing capsule. The Department of Fire and Emergency Services has led a relentless search of the past six days. Their investigation led to the rapid establishment of a search and a search area, and today's result has vindicated that work. And when you consider the scope of the research area, uh, locating this object was a monumental challenge. The search groups have quite literally found uh, the needle in the haystack. really wanted to get, get people together, really to express our sincere gratitude um, to DFES, to, to the state government, to everybody that has been involved uh, in the successful search for this capsule. Uh, when you think about it, a pretty incredible uh, recovery when you think of the distances involved uh, and also the remoteness of, of the terrain. Uh, and I think that really speaks to the tenacity uh, of all of those that were involved in, in the search. The head of Rio Tinto's iron ore department said they were willing to pay for the search should the government request it. He added the company would look into details of the loss so that it won't happen again. A special effort is underway in Mexico to protect the vaquita, the world's smallest porpoise. The dolphin-like marine mammals are on the verge of extinction due to fisheries. Vaquitas often die from fishing nets cast to catch other fish. Biologists estimated that only 6 to 20 vaquitas remained in 2018, and each year those killed by fishing nets outnumber those that are born. The rescue operation, known as Operation Miracle, began last year. It's led by NGO Sea Shepherd and the Mexican Navy. They've managed to reduce the number of fishing boats in the Pacific Gulf by more than 70 percent, with fewer nets cast in the protected areas. We've tried different techniques and, and, and ways to solve the problem over the years, and for many years we were pulling nets. But pulling nets, the problem is the nets are in the water. This is a different strategy. Let's make sure the nets don't go in the water, and as importantly, if they do go in the water, they're only there for a very few minutes. The Mexican Navy says fishermen are cutting operations in the protected zone, and experts noted a recent decline in demand for a popular local fish and an illegal market controlled by fewer people. However, a U.S. environmental group accused the Mexican state of poor regulation, which has enabled the illegal wildlife trade to flourish. That's all for today's program. We're really glad to have you with us. Please send us an email if you'd like to tell us something. We're going to put it on screen. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. I'm Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.